Aquarian Music Witch, the podcast. Hi, thanks for hopping on, Ryan. How are you today? Great for you. I'm doing okay. It's a couple days into the new year, so getting back into the groove of things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a, a big wind down from the holidays. I know. Did you travel or anything? No, we um we stayed. My husband and I stayed local, but we we kind of traveled. Um, we're in uh, New Jersey, right outside of the city, right outside of Manhattan. Oh. And my in laws are about an hour and a half south from us, near the Jersey Shore. And then my cousins are about an hour and a half north from us up in New York. So we saw my in-laws right before Christmas and we saw my cousins on New Year's Eve. So, Well, that's great. You're actually closer than I thought. And Jersey Shore is great for vacationing. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. My husband grew up here. So that's like his, that's his beach. That's cool. Uh, I actually, this is the first time we've ever talked and I don't really know anything about your story. And all I know is from a very good source that you're a very interesting person and that we, we might get <laughs> on well here. So, uh, I don't know where you're comfortable starting, but I would love to hear just about maybe about your spiritual journey so far. And, uh, you talk about being a healer in your bio a little bit, and I would be very interested to know about like anything that indicated that in your younger life or maybe foreshadowed it for you. Or anything you want to talk about, really? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I, so I was born in Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut. I'll backtrack a little bit, you know, for my parents. My dad was born and raised in the Bronx, and my mom was born and raised in Sparta, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, at um, through my uncle, who was in the Air Force with my dad, and that's how he met my mom. And uh, her her brother, and um, they met in Florida, in Delray Beach, Florida, um, and they ended up being together and had me in Connecticut. And my my dad left the Air Force and stayed in aviation. So um, being a airplane mechanic, that's what he started out as, and moved his way up into higher positions. Um, we ended up moving from Connecticut to New Hampshire. And then we moved to Dayton, Ohio after that. And he actually ended up becoming the VP of maintenance for JetBlue when JetBlue opened. Um, and wow. that's when my brother was born. He was born in Dayton, Ohio. So I have a younger brother that's six and a half years younger than me. And that's where my spiritual journey really began. I was seven years old and always had really vivid dreams and always felt very in tune to the angels. I grew up Catholic, uh, went to Catholic school up until my sophomore year of high school. And my dad's mother, my grandmother, um, we called her grandmama, I never really got to meet her. She passed away when I was one and he always talked about her, her and um, well, my dad, my aunt, his sister, both of them would always talk about my grandmama. Like mm -hmm. she was 
sitting in the room with us. Like they spoke very highly of her, told great stories. So I always felt like I knew her without physically knowing her. And when I was seven, I remember maybe a little bit older because that's when my brother was born. So maybe eight or nine, they were speaking about moving again to Virginia. And Mm. I was just starting to be in that age where I don't want to leave my friends, you know, or I just started to make friends and I was getting comfortable. So I remember having a dream and it was my grandmama and I had her rocking chair in my room. And in the dream, she was sitting in her rocking chair and she was knitting. And I remember getting out of the bed and seeing her and she kept saying, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Just go with the flow. And I woke up and it felt so real that I had to like go downstairs and like tell my parents when I woke up. And when I woke up, I got out of bed and to get out of my room, I had to walk past my vanity and then my mirror was there. And when I looked in the mirror, she was sitting in her rocking chair and it, she was just right there. And I went and I told my parents and they never, you know, denied it. They never, you know, pushed it away, but they're like, Oh, that's great. You know, that's really cool. But never acknowledged anything after that. Just said cool and you know say prayers and move on (laughs) with it Mm -hmm. so after that moving to Virginia you know the more moments that I had or those you know gut feelings of something not feeling right um kind of got shunned upon it just wasn't really acknowledged or it was like oh you don't know what you're talking about so I stopped speaking about what I was feeling or what I was seeing and experiencing and just keeping it to myself um, throughout my teenage years up until we moved to South Carolina. So Mm -hmm. moved to South Carolina my right the summer before my junior year of high school. And um, it was, you know, whenever we moved anywhere, my dad was really good about um, helping my brother and I, you know, move with change, you know, accept change and, you know, new beginnings and always the positive of everything that was happening in it. And I was actually really excited to move to South Carolina. Virginia wasn't my favorite place to live. I just felt like I was the, you know, the black sheep of the bunch. Um, even though I was on the high school dance team and being in the dance studio, I had that group, but being in school was a little rough. I always felt like I was an outsider. What part of uh, Virginia were you in? I was in, I, we lived in Leesburg, Virginia, right outside of DC, like South of DC. That's a small um, world. I grew up in uh, Sterling, which is right adjacent oh, to Leesburg. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So one of my, one of my friends lived in Sterling for a while and then my, actually one of my best friends, she still lives in Fairfax. Yeah. Right around there. I went to a school in in Fairfax for high school too. So I totally know that area. And it's funny because I was just talking, I want to let you finish, but I was just talking to my friend uh, in another episode that's going to be for this about, we both grew up in Northern Virginia and it felt like there was a lot of squelching and quelling of people's gifts and people's magic there all through Mm -hmm. growing up. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I went to um, Bishop O'Connell High School in Arlington. Yeah. I know where that is. That's funny. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, what a small world. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, so yeah, South Carolina then. Yeah, to South Carolina, I um, I really was excited because I just felt a great connection with the beach and mm -hmm. we weren't far from it. We moved right to Myrtle Beach and mm -hmm. I took advantage of, you know, this is a new place. No one knows me and I wanted to be myself. So I had no fear then with really starting to talk about my experiences and like my feelings and um, just being who I was at that point in my life. And it felt really comfortable and it felt authentic. It felt real. So I really enjoyed it. Um, but when I, it was my junior year, towards the end of my junior year, um, my high school boyfriend passed away in a car accident. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. So that was my first like big loss. Like I had loss of like great grandparents um, okay. when I was younger, but for that, it was, you know, the first like love connection that I had without, you know, outside of family. Yeah. So was pretty traumatizing. So journaling, talking to him whenever I could, um, we danced together. So whenever I had the opportunity to dance, I felt like I was with him. And one of our neighbors owned a, um, a spa in Myrtle beach. And she started offering crystal balancing, um, as one of the services there. And I remember going and, she worked her magic and it was the most vivid I've ever seen, you know, my higher self and seeing my boyfriend that passed and then also seeing my guides and guardian angels and just the full support that I had around me and that they never left and they were always there and encouraging. Um, so my she's, I call her my aunt now. She's, you know, my aunt and she still is one of my mentors and really helps me. Um, she helps me along the way with tapping into, um, all of that and staying in tune with it and not being afraid to speak upon it. Um, then after a while, my dad's sister, my aunt, who was also my godmother, she passed away in 2012 and that was a really hard hit on her family. And I felt a really big connection with her when she crossed over speaking through music, um, just seeing her presence whenever I was with the family, uh, little moments of losing something and then it's showing right back up. She was very good at finding things. Um, even when she was here in the physical world, mm -hmm. um, she knew where everything was. So if something was lost, it was always found. And I always felt it was her putting it in that place, you know, for us to see it. And my dad was, my dad became more of a believer in that after she passed. Um, mm -hmm. I, my parents were both a little, you know, shunned from it just because of being raised in the Catholic church and, you know, it's witchcraft <laughs> to an extent. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, um, I felt really connected there and again, just started to not be afraid to, you know, say how I feel and also, you know, assisting others, I start to feel others, you know, come to me for guidance, um, without even really knowing it. I know that now, but looking like looking back so that, that I knew it was more that intuitive tapping into that gift. Um, and then it started to escalate even more to, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would hear people talking. I would 
you know, see someone standing at the end of my bed, not knowing who they were, hmm. uh, being interrupted, um, losing, really losing my train of thought because I was just so distracted by something else that was happening, seeing auras around people. The more um, I got into yoga and tapping in, you know, to my chakras, that it really opened up a lot. And I didn't know how to control it or like how to, yeah, really control it or um, let it have its time or let it, you know, show up when it needs to or give it, you know, like an agenda, like you can come and see me at this time and place. I ended up, it was actually after my father, my father passed away in 2017 Sorry. and that was tough. Yeah. He, um, passed one month before our wedding. So we didn't get to have the wedding that we wanted. Huh. It was, it was tough. Um, but it's funny how it all worked out because my dad wanted us to have our wedding in our backyard in Myrtle beach. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that pressure to be on my parents. And I wanted to get married in Charleston. My husband and I, we both did um, do like a nice destination wedding. And, you know, we also wanted a smaller wedding, but it was difficult because he has a large Italian family and we have a lot of friends that are family. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, my dad's like, let's just, you know, get married in the backyard. We'll throw a party here. And, you know, we kept saying no. And long story short, when my dad passed away, we ended up trying to get married before he passed at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought him home from the hospital on, on Thursday and we planned to get married on Monday and he passed on Saturday morning, mm-hmm. but we ended up still getting married that Monday after. And it was in the backyard with 23 people, very small. And we all jumped in the pool and you know, ate and drank and danced and just celebrated. Um, we called our 72 hour wedding because we literally planned in 72 hours. We had no wedding bands. We didn't have our attire. My husband had his suit, but I had to go find another dress because my dress was still in the bridal shop and not everyone, you know, could make it. I mean, my cousins were there who are like my sisters. So they got to stand by my side. My in-laws were there. And then a few of my, my friends, were there, um, from Myrtle beach. So it was, it was really beautiful. And I think, you know, it's like my dad kind of got the wedding that he wanted for us mm-hmm. it was really beautiful. He showed up in many ways. Yeah, he I always asked if you felt like he's still around or like he's been a presence with you. Oh yeah. Sometimes when people pass, they come back and they stay clearly. And then sometimes they're doing other things like with other people or they're reincarnating, but you feel like he's around still. Well, he's around and just, just saying it right now, I have chills all over. It's he's like, don't you forget about me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And uh, no, he's, he's always around. He shows up a lot. Um, When, when we, you know, called hospice and like brought him home from the hospital, um, the, the four of us, um, well, five. So it was my dad, my mom, my brother, myself, and my husband, we were sitting around and he was like, you know, he was kind of going around the room of like, Hey, you know, Rye, like you're going to get my car. Cause now you live, he had a SUV. He was like, you live up North. Now I had a sports car. I had a red Mustang <laughs> at the time. And he's like, you, you got to upgrade. It's going to be safer for you. And he looked at my husband and he's like, you know, 
Alec, he goes, you're not getting my golf clubs, but huh? you're get my humidor. <laughs> so he got his humidor and all his cigars. My brother, um, he looked at him and said, you know, you can, you get the Camaro. He had a classic Camaro that he gifted my brother. And then he pointed at my mom and he's like, and good luck because she gets all the money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, he had his jokes until the end. And he said he would always be watching us like a hawk. Mm -hmm. And, um, when he passed, it was, we were getting, we were getting married in the backyard and in Myrtle beach, there's, um, the Citadel in Charleston, they do touchdowns in Myrtle beach and like fly back and forth from Charleston to Myrtle beach. Okay. And, and they have not done that in years. Like I couldn't remember the last time they did that maybe when I was like in high school and I, we were saying our vows. And as my husband was saying his vows, a fighter jet came flying over the house so low that it shook the house mm -hmm. and you could obviously hear it. And all of a sudden you, everyone gasps because we knew it was him because airplanes, aviation, yeah. like and my mother and I, both of us go, holy shit. <laughs> like, we both say, holy shit. I'm up there with the priest and my husband and holding his hands. I'm like, holy shit. And he, you know, and then I caught myself. I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm so sorry. Like we're saying our vows and I'm like, <laughs> oh. like cursing like during our vows, but it was comical, but it was just everyone knew it was him. Like, you know, my husband saying I do. And that was my father saying, yeah, like yeah, you I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love when the signs are just undeniable. Oh yeah. It, and it was, it was, it was crazy. And then, um, my father, he always said when he wanted to retire, he wanted to be a bus driver down at Walt Disney world. We were a big Disney family. And he wanted to drive everyone to the happiest place on earth, um, which I thought was adorable. That is adorable. Um, and in his office, he had like, it was like a little like matchbox car, mm -hmm. but it was a Disney bus. And he had that sitting on his desk next to his computer. And I remember when we brought him to the funeral home you know they asked if you want to put because we had him cremated if we wanted to have anything put in there with him to do so so we put I found that in his office and I was like you know what he's going to be driving the angels to the happiest place you know wherever he is so I wanted to give him his bus so I did not know this but my father surprise wanted to surprise my husband and I with a Mr. Softy's ice cream truck at our wedding in Farleston. Okay. And because that, you know, didn't happen, my mom called the company, the guy that has the truck in Myrtle beach and said, Hey, we have a situation. Would you be able to come on Monday for a few hours at this time? And he said, absolutely not a problem and shows up. Now, my husband and I have no idea that this was happening. And uh, we walk out to the front and it was a Mr. Softy's truck. And my mom tells us the story of how my dad planned on doing this for us. That's so sweet. 
It was so sweet. It was awesome. Everyone, you know, got their ice cream cones or their shakes. And after we all like got our dessert, um, the owner of the truck came out and he was like, you know, I talked to your father, you know, a few times I didn't know him. Like obviously everyone else does. He's like, but he seemed like such a beautiful, you know, genuine human being. And I want to give you this as like a reminder of like today and like, you know, this experience. And it was a little matchbox size mm-hmm. ice cream, Mr. Softy's ice cream truck. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was perfect. So it was like, my father was handing it right back to us mm-hmm. um, after I just gave it to him. So I thought that was really beautiful. Um, I have that little Mr. Softy's truck sitting in my jewelry box next to him. Um, I have him in a, in a necklace that I wear. Um, so I have that. Uh, but yeah, and we, um, there, I mean, he's also one that always said, you know, when you find a penny, pick it up because an angel sent it to you. Hmm. I find a penny every day. I have jars around my house that I just throw the pennies in just to keep. Um, I love that. Some of the pennies um, are, you know, in my coat pocket still, like I won't take them out. I leave them there, but it's just so funny how certain conversations or certain things are happening and we'll be standing in the same room for an hour and then I'll look down and there's a penny. Like there's no way that, it could have been there before, but it is yeah. and just that, that confirmation. And I fully believe that that's him saying, you know, you're doing the right thing. You're doing, you're on the right path. You're doing good or t- take a deep breath or it's an, I love you, or it's a, you're doing great kiddo. Um, so it really is when you're opening up your eyes and seeing what's around you. And the minute that like a memory comes flooding in of the one that you miss it's them it's it's them a hundred percent and I also fully believe it's not just you know our angels and guides it's also the ones that have that are here too um you know people used to say like what was it if you your ear itches you know that means someone's talking about you but I feel if you hear a song and it's like oh I remember this time with this person it's like you're on the same wavelength. It's just saying hi from afar or I love you from afar or and I miss you. That's, That's where I feel like whenever you see an old friend and you say we can go years without seeing each other. But when we do, we pick up right where we left off. And I think that's because in that in between time, those little moments add up. And it's just that realization of like, you've never left me because we've always been there. Yeah. And what even is time anyway? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned a couple times about like people about speaking through music and getting signs through music. So does that usually look to you more like, um, does it look more like specific song lyrics or is it more like songs that are associated with kind of times and memories? It's actually, it's a little bit of both. I, I've had experiences where I'll be sitting there talking and asking for guidance and a song will come on and it's, and it's through the words um, or the, the lyrics of the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other times where I'm just saying, you know, I really miss this person 
or remember that time when, and like, I'll talk about a memory and then all of a sudden their song comes on. Um, My mother passed away a year ago and her song was brown eyed girl. And she, I mean, and also my mother had a voice. She, (laughs) it was, you know, we would say JB's way and her way or the highway. But she always knew what she was doing. She always knew, you know, we always had full trust in her um, because she never steered us wrong. But um, we were actually talking about her the other day. Like, wow, like she really would have loved this. And all of a sudden her song, you know, Brown Eyed Girl came on. And it's a confirmation that she was like, yeah, you're right. I would have loved that. That would have been great. (laughs) I, I love that. Is she somebody that you feel like is around you the same way that your dad is? Yes. I feel like when she, when she, you know, crossed over, she kind of said, all right, you know, Patrick, it's my turn. And I still feel him, but not as strong as I feel her. It's like she she wants, you know, it's her time to shine. Um, And I feel sometimes I feel that, but there are, there has been times where I feel both hands being pulled where he'll step in and I'll feel his, his support a little bit stronger than hers. Mm-hmm. It's funny because my, my dad was, he, he was in tune without being in tune and he was very sensitive um, and wasn't afraid to cry. He was a man that was not afraid to cry. So I always said he was very, you know, in tune to his feminine side mm-hmm. and wasn't afraid to talk about feelings and was very calm. And the man never raised his voice at all. But my mom was mm-hmm. the true, like, lion you know she lioness she she roared she she spoke up she wasn't afraid to and she was tough she was a tough cookie Uh, she she fought hard for a lot of things in her life and the last four years of her life she was battling cancer and she toughed it out really well and you know we have our masculine and feminine side of our bodies and the left side being feminine, the right being masculine, you know, my dad's tattoos are all dedicated on my left side. And then my mom is all dedicated on my right. And I didn't realize that until after I did it. And it was just, just, it all just kind of, you know, sunk in and like tied in. And, you know, it's funny how that happens where it's like, I know I'm doing this for a reason. And then it was an exercise. Well, yeah, yeah, that seems like they balanced each other out really well. And yeah, they did. They balanced each other out really well. <laughs> um, yeah, she, my mom is also, she was in tune, but she, she hit it. Um, you know, she didn't, it's like, she didn't want to believe it, but she definitely had a gift. She, one of her healings that she actually did, she, we grew up, um, you know, more holistic healing than, you know, anything else. Um, my mom wasn't a big fan of, you know, Western medicine. So during her cancer journey, she really wanted to steer away from chemo, radiation, any of the drugs. And there was a moment where they said, well, you kind of, you're going to have to, because, you know, it's working, but it's not working fast enough or strong enough. So she did one round of radiation for 10 days, and then she started to do chemo. And she, um, what was it? It was probably three years in, three years in, 
um, she was actually working with Kathy and um, another uh, friend of theirs and offered to do, um, is it Hiawaskan? Hiawaskas? Ayahuasca? Yeah. Yep. Ayahuasca offered to do that to help, um, just to help her kind of get through some of her spiritual journey, um, of, you know, passing on, you know, things that she's suppressed, you know, over time. And she knew I, you know, believed in all this and I, you know, being in tune with it. And I actually, actually did a course with my mentor, uh, Cara Viana, um, she's out in Hawaii and it's called Master Your Magic. And she's the one that really helped me balance all of my tools and know how to use them properly. So when my mom went on this, she only told me about it. She didn't tell my brother. She didn't want anyone to know. She told me the day before she was doing it, just in case if anything happened to her mm-hmm. about it. Um, and because of that, the day of, I was up here in New Jersey. She was in South Carolina. I, midday, I didn't know what time she was starting. I decided to just meditate and tap in and check in on her. And then I did that. And then I felt an energy of, this isn't your space. So I left. And then I thought about it later on and I did it again. And same thing, was asked to leave. And then I didn't hear from my mom for another two days. So it took her like two days to kind of like regroup and give me a call. And when she called me and told me about her trip, that's what she called it. Um, <laughs> she was so cute. Um, her experience, she was saying at one point when she was sitting in the room, a tall, Indian came walking in with long silver hair, feathers in the ears, wearing a bandana, and was just standing there. You mean like a like a Native American? Like a Native American. Mm-hmm. Yep, Native American standing there, long silver hair, feathers, bandana, just sitting there, and she called, you know, her um, called. Kathy to come in because she didn't know what to do. So she rang the bell for support and, you know, she was in like a darker space and she kept asking the spirit to leave and it finally did. And then she said it happened again. And it's funny because the two times that it happened in the timeline of her story, it was me. Hmm. Um, I have, at the time I had very like white blonde silver hair and I wore, I wear feather earrings and I would always wear a bandana. So it was. Just, think she was kind of like mistaking you or you think she was seeing some sort of like, I think I she was seeing were... one of my guides. My guides was stepping in for me um, and just observing and checking in while you know she was there and she kept saying you know this isn't you know for you like this is my journey not yours she kept saying that over and over again and when she was saying that it I it resonated with me and that's how I was feeling where it's like I you know I was checking in on her and I knew I should have you know been there but I just wanted to see if she was okay and it was just really cool that she actually felt that and saw that on the other end 
at the same time. So seeing that. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Do you think you have any interest in like figuring out who that specific guide is or, or do you, have you done like a deep dive on your guides? Do you have a sense of who all is around you or who, you know, who usually calls on you? I haven't yet. And I really want to just a little bit deeper and go more into, you know, past life, you know, experience too, and see what's back there. (laughs) But yeah, I haven't done that yet. Um, I was my mother's caretaker or caregiver while, um, when she was in hospice. So for eight months, I lived with her and took care of her. And I focused more on, you know, making sure she was comfortable and, you know, I I had the strength to support her. Um, so I haven't really tapped back in and done that yet. I've been doing more of meditations and wanting to create space for others and continue that support like I did for my mom. Um, yeah. And that's kind it, of a reason that's she passed pretty recently. So I'm sure you're still kind of coming out of that caregiver modality, oh, yeah. maybe trying to refine what normal is, I'm sure, even still. Yeah. It It's definitely a journey to say the least. Um, this past year was, was rough. It was a roller coaster. Um, I kind of wanted to take a step back and, you know, be alone and be by myself. And I did push, you know, some people away or I distanced myself to some loved ones. Um, but realized that, you know, they were my biggest support group and, you know, their love is what really kept me afloat. So, um, I started leaning back into that and now it's, I'm really processing more of the grief and releasing it. Um, just taking it one day at a time and whatever comes up, acknowledging it and not ignoring it. Um, I feel like the more you ignore it, the harder it gets because it, you know, gets, you know, covered up by everything else in life. And then it kind of sneaks up on you and, you know, takes control, um, at unexpected moments. So I feel when it's kind of like a shadow thing, like you got to deal with your shadow self or you got to deal with your grief or else it does, it sneaks up on you, but it can be, if you do do sit with it, you can grow a lot from it. I think. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, learn a lot from it. Um, it's, it's an, it's an experience I've, you know, the more I sit with it, the more I understand it. Um, and it's different for everyone and how, you know, we all process it, but it's really comforting to be around people, you know, that are willing, you know, to support you and have that. Cause sometimes grief, it's, it's very vulnerable and it's, it's scary. And it sometimes it's hard to, you know, open, you know, open that side of you to others. Cause sometimes you don't want to scare them away because you don't know what's, going to come out and how, you know, you're going to be feeling, you know, it's anger, sadness, you know, definitely trigger people. It can trigger others and you don't want to, you know, I know I don't want to do that to, you know, anyone, because I know that everyone has their triggers or everyone has their experiences and, and, you know, ones that haven't gone through what I have, you know, it's hard to relate and vice versa, but being able to just sit there and you know, hold space for someone is that's a gift in itself. So, um, lean into others that are willing to hold that space for me instead of me holding space, you know, for them. 
because this is like my time to, you know, to lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like an era of self-care that's really important to go through. Um, Mm -hmm. And community is really important with all of this stuff, I think. Um, I wanted to know what you thought about, you, you mentioned angels a couple of times and maybe that's how you like frame I guess spirits or what you're seeing, uh, or, or the, the, what's, whatever is protecting you. And I wonder, you said you grew up Catholic. Do you, do you still think you are, do you still feel Catholic in a sense? Or do you think that, like, how would you, how do you think about God, I guess? And how do you think about, or, or do you have an identity that's tied to any kind of religion at this point? Or how do you feel about navigating that? Yeah, I, I really um, stepped out of the Catholic church. Um, I do believe there is a God. I believe that, you know, there, there is one and we all believe in one. Um, It's, you know, I feel, I think it's more of, I don't want to be told like what to believe in when I do believe in what others are also believing in. I'm just titling it as something different because it's very similar and I feel all of them have like the same story. So in the same feeling, um, you know, the universe, God, goddesses, angels, guides, um, I feel it, we can all relate to all of them. I, yeah, I stepped out of the Catholic church just cause I, I wasn't, I didn't like the pressure of having to, you know, this is what you need to believe in. This is what you need to do. And if you do this, it's wrong. And I don't see that there's a wrong, you know, you learn from your experiences and you go from there and it's, it's okay. You know, you're a human being, you make mistakes. And then, you know, when you learn from them, you carry on and you have that support around you and that community. Um, I don't think you need to have, I don't know, like a, a temple or a church over you, you could be sitting out in nature and embrace that and still pray and ask for guidance and help. Yeah. That's just, I'm very open-minded about it. It's whatever you believe in. That's pretty much it. I definitely agree with freedom of the importance of being allowed to believe what you do and how you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's always, it's always something like you're just constantly reframing as you evolve and expand and grow. So I think there has to be room for that. And it's interesting that there definitely are truths that are contradictory maybe, or like conflicting truths in the world. But I think things can, there can be a multiplicity of true things that might not seem like they go together, but they can still both be true. And you kind of just have to sit in that with people in order to really truly accept how people are and not control them, you know? Yeah, not, yeah, exactly. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, just being able to be open-minded and accepting of that. And it's really eye-opening because then you get to see how others live. And, you know, if you feel connected to that, then that's also really beautiful because you're finding yourself connect with someone who's lived and, you know, it lived a different life or raised a different way. Um, But it's, yeah, you know, you can relate to the stories. Aquarian Music Witch, the podcast, is made possible by listeners like you. To support this project, you can contribute directly through our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash aquarianmusicwitch. Or consider subscribing to our Supercast page. With the AMW Supercast Content Access Pass, 
you'll gain access to a vault of exclusive content and other cosmic perks starting at just $5 a month. Now, back to the show. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a lot of people in your life that you can take advice and that you can hear if they're telling you something that you weren't thinking already or don't, you know what I mean? Like, do you feel like you have people that you can turn to that can kind yeah. of give you, give yeah. you a reality check or, <laughs> or yeah. you? do I, I, you know, it's funny. Like I, um, you know, I was, you know, my parents are the ones I would always turn to. So, you know, this year has kind of been at a loss, but, you know, recently, you know, my husband is, you know, like my coach. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, le- I'm leaning into that. Um, it's hard, you know, because I know it's someone that cares about you so, so much. You, you don't want, you want it, to, you want it to be caring and it is caring, but sometimes it may feel controlling. Mm-hmm. So it's less that guard down and knowing that it's coming from a caring place because I know that you know even from not just you know my spouse but like you know my brother or you know close friend or a relative it's like oh your parents aren't here like trying to step in but I've never felt that with anyone in in my circle everyone has just been really supportive and I've always um asked for you know their honesty like tell me you know tell me the truth or tell me if I'm out of line or like, you know, if it's too much or and just learning how to communicate really is the biggest thing. Um, the, the communication has definitely grown and gotten broader, I guess you could say, um, with family members and, you know, the ones that are really close to me, being able to not be afraid to talk about my feelings or what's going on in my head and not feeling judged. Right. Um, I think that's a really big thing for a lot of people. It's, you know, you don't want to give out too much and then feel like, Oh shit, I think I overspoke or did I say too much? Like, you know, yeah, it's really hard to, it's really hard to learn when you're feeling judged too. I think like, how, like it's so hard not to just shut down if somebody makes you feel like you're less than for them knowing more or them, you know, thinking differently than you or something. Absolutely. And it's, I found, you know, even just speaking to, you know, just people on a day to day, being able to be myself, but also with a boundary too. So it's like, I'm showing, you know, who I am and what I believe in to an extent without overstepping because I want to, you know, like we said, we don't want to feel like, you know, judged. We don't want to have that feeling when we walk away from a conversation, Mm -hmm. but also, Oh, you know, be, you know, given a little insight of who you are without overdoing it and feeling confident about it. And, you know, also leaving a mark on, you know, someone in a, in a good way, you know, showing that it's okay to, you know, speak up a little bit about how you feel or what's going on in your life or something that's relatable, just so they know that they're also not alone. If they ever, if that's the conversation or the situation you're in. Um, yeah. So yeah, when, it, you voice pe- when you voice things that people don't always feel like they can voice, I think it can help somebody to feel like they're not alone in right? a big room of people or whatever. And I also think that when judgment comes up, it's pretty much always some kind of, whether or not it's warranted, it's pretty much always like a projection from the person judging 
that has mm-hmm. something to do with something that they've gotten either defensive about or that they are blind to in themselves or like it's surprising actually how often that works that way I think yes yeah I agree too it's and and I've seen you know I look back and I, I've seen myself you know do that like get defensive about things and I'm like but why why am I getting defenses of something that you know someone else is doing like mm-hmm. that their life not mine I shouldn't you know I should have reacted that way um and you just can't control people. Like that's the big lesson. I always think too, when somebody wants so badly to control everybody else in their life, uh, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, has that kind of knee jerk thing, it's really because they think they feel out of control with their own lives. And so that can get to be kind of a hard lesson when you encounter people that have really different ways of thinking about things than you do. It's mm-hmm. very easy to have that reaction, but I think it really is at the end of the day, always coming back to you feeling like, well, like if you disagree with me and you know, you're right. And that's your truth. And I just leave that be that like threatens my truth somehow. And I don't think it has to. And I think you can, there still has to be like negotiations where you can communicate and you can help people to learn, you know what I mean? And say, or even say something like, well, that's harmful or that's like whatever. And, uh, I guess part of that is just like building up enough trust that people don't feel super defensive when you have those conversations and don't feel judged, but there's no fixing, there's no like turning somebody into agreeing with you because you judged them hard enough and you, you right. it's just never going to get anyone anywhere. Yep. And I, and I, you know, I see that, you know, in like the workplace, you know, I'm, you know, day to day, you know, I'm, a manager of a, you know, a team of, you know, 25 and it's, that's a lot of personalities to <laughs> work with hmm. on basis. And, you know, not all of them get along or, you know, or they, they do get along, but it's, there are days where sometimes it's, it's head to head, you know, like, you know, people butt heads and it's, it's a, you know, it can be a judgmental thing. Um, hmm. so also learning how to, speak to people with their personalities and how they like are reacting. Um, so it's like feeding fuel to the fire fire. Um, you, you don't want to do that. You want to be able to not mirror them, but kind of have them mirror you back. Um, yeah. And you're, you want to set, make sure you stay within that tone. So, you know, they can see that you are being understanding and that you could, you can relate. And also that you're there to support them. And when they see that, I feel, then they start to come down and realize like, oh, they get it. That's pretty cool. And then a conversation actually happens instead of like a battle. Yeah, I agree. Like when you position yourself on somebody's team, like if you're really trying to get someone's mind to change, it's really important to present yourself as somebody that's similar enough to them or somebody they can see as like a, like a comrade. And and if you can't, you know, if you can't do that, there's not really even a foundation for talking about any of it or, or for just, you can't just force somebody to agree with you. It has to be on the common ground in that place of like, well, we're tackling this together. We're trying to, we, it's us against this kind of problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And once, yeah, when, once you get there, then it's like, it's easy, you know, you just figure out a plan and you succeed. Um, and it's, you know, we tend to do that with ourselves too. We kind of battle ourselves, have to find that common ground. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. And it also says in your bio that you're, you're a dancer. 
is that um, what kind of dance are you interested in? And I'm very uh, aware of how important dance can be for moving around the energy in your body and just doing a lot of other transformations yeah. with the energy. I grew up dancing my entire, my entire life. Um, I was in the dance studio two, three years old and all I wanted to do was dance. Um, I, like I said, in the dance studio, I did ballet, jazz, tap, um, hip hop, contemporary, modern, um, a little bit of everything. And, um, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be a rockette when I was younger and it was, you know, to the point where I would go to the chiropractor and think that he would help stretch me out and hang me upside down wow. to be five, six to five, ten and a half, because that's the height requirement. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I only grew to five foot three. So mm -hmm. I never passed five, three. So that, that dream, um, didn't happen, but the Rockettes have a very big place in my heart. I went to like Rockette camp. So like Broadway jazz is, you know, I, I love it. That's up my alley. Um, but dance movement is self-expression to the T for me. Um, how I release energy, how I bring call in energy at the same time. Um, if I use it, yeah, on many different levels, I've learned, I, I was a professional, you know, dancer too for 13 years in traveling shows, um, working, you know, with event committees and then also with, um, Walt Disney world. I danced for Disney for four years. Oh, cool. So were it was, or were you just, a, you were a dancer in a show like that? Um, I was in the shows and parades, um, in Hollywood studios. And I also hung out with some characters on the side. So um, yeah, it was, it was honestly, I always say it was the best time of my life. Um, I never went to college, but Disney was right after high school. And those four years was like my college. You know, I learned a lot about having a full-time job, a 401k, living on my own, living with roommates, um, just living, you know, an adult life out of school. So it was a lot of fun and I met a lot of beautiful people, but dance was definitely the gift um, that I'll, I will always treasure. Like I said, it, helps refill my cup um when I need to call in energy when I need confidence when I need just happiness joy put on music that just makes me want to really move my body if I'm feeling angry put on something a little you know deeper harder letting out the the emotions through movement you know, even when I work out, like sometimes I feel when I'm just running on the treadmill, like a song will come on and I'll just start crying, but it's like empowering and comforting. Um, so yeah, moving the body is a gift and you really do feel yourself shift energy when doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've taught a few classes of, you know, empowerment, um, for movement and I, tap into a burlesque style to, um, for women to, you know, bring in, you know, that confidence, you know, standing in from the mirror, appreciating, you know, the human body and what you can carry and how you can express yourself just by the littlest movements in your day-to-day -day life, you know, rolling your shoulders back, raising your chest a little bit higher, 
you know, even just breathing a little bit deeper into your belly and feeling the movement of your belly, you know, rise and fall, um, how you place your hands or reach for something, you know, reaching with confidence, reaching with, you know, authority, reaching, you know, with joy, like how are you reaching for something? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, walking, you know, how, how are you taking your strides? Are they short? Are they long? Are they graceful? Are they powerful? What, what do you want to feel behind those steps and how you want to present yourself? Those are probably my favorite classes to teach because you really just see a shift in, you know, not just the movement of others, but you can see the energy shift and it's just, I mean, it's awesome. It's very rewarding. It's really cool. Yeah. Very transformative and very, very, uh, when you can be purposeful about your movements, I find that that's also a big, for me, that can also help with, uh, manifesting. It can help to embody who or what you need and what you, what you, you know, are going to be, you know what I mean? Like you start walking around feeling those things really intentionally and, and purposefully and moving with purpose and moving your energy with purpose and feeling your energy and being present in it and then suddenly that kind of magnetism gets more powerful I think yeah I I completely agree like and you see it you know happen you show up every day you know wanting something you're gonna show up like that every day yeah and just keep going like it's just gonna keep evolving and showing up for you yeah because you don't stagnate when you're able to move like that I had some I had some definitely like stagnation uh, in like my throat energy area. And then in my shoulders, I had all these like weird blockages that I didn't even realize had to do with. And this last year I took a fitness class twice a week and it was not like a lose a bunch of weight class or something. It's like just doing, we did like TRX, but, but uh, also some kind of yoga and some kind of like somatic stuff. And I loosened up my shoulders. I have like a better mobility of kind of raising my shoulders up now. And then the, the, it made this huge difference, like in yeah. the way that my energy, not just in how my shoulders feel, but like the whole flow is better. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's like you said, you're doing it twice a week and your body's starting to get comfortable with it and it's recognizing it. So now it's already it's, it starts showing up before you can even show up. Like mm-hmm. it's up there and it's ready for you. And I feel that too. Like when, yeah, when you take a class, two weeks go by and all of a sudden you're like, wow, who is this person standing in front of me? Like I've been, you've been looking at them all along. They've always been there, but mm-hmm. it's like so rewarding to see that after, you know, putting in the work, you know, and showing up for yourself. Um, Absolutely. I also took a belly dancing class a couple of years ago. And that was another time there was mirrors in that room that I did the class. And it was like in the neighborhood in Philly, in downtown. And awesome. it was really fun to go every week. It's such a cool place. This whole city is cool. But uh, that was like a big deal to me because I had trouble kind of unlocking, I think, my own sensuality. Mm-hmm. And I got to have like a whole moment there. Uh, and part of that moment for me was like, it was during the summer of when I was having my what I call my spiritual awakening that was over the course of a summer. And I was taking this class as well. And that was unlocking all this energy and, yeah. and 
being able to, sorry, the train's going by, uh, being able to, I guess, just like see myself in the mirror moving in the way that you do in that kind of dance, which is very, very watery, I think, like yeah. very fluid and like you're even your whole belly is kind of like you're like rippling almost. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't know, that totally, that totally like, like it almost should make a sound like shing, like <laughs> just like aligned <laughs> everything. And it's all just like, it was almost like I had to go through a whole phase then of being like really sensual. And now I feel like I balanced out more and it's like more integrated, but super, super powerful stuff. Just like getting your body moving, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Belly dancing, you know, that's really in like, that's like the sacral, like chakra area. So wow. you're shifting and moving energy around in there that could have been stagnant mm -hmm. and pulling that focus and really making, you know, the focus, the movement in that space. Yeah. It starts to really open up and you start to feel a little, a little bit more than usual, even more like creative, even. Um, yeah. Just wanting to explore more. So it's, it's really cool. Um, and that's how I feel too, you know, with, I think that's why like, I love, you know, burlesque in a way because it's you know it's sexy and fun but it's promiscuous and it's you to an extent and it's like you have the choice of how much you want to like show off like how much you want to give others and you know by the end you're you're, you're giving your all you're you know I mean not your all but you know what I mean it's like it's like you are so proud and confident at the end it's like that build up and it's just it's eye-opening like when you start feeling it um because I like to build it up from the toes all the way to the top of the head so it's like grounding yourself in it and then tapping into your your chakras and then finally you know leading with your crown and then all of a sudden it's like jaws are on the floor you know dropping for you and it's like wow that's inspiring and that's empowering it is empowering. There's this great, it's really reminding me of sometimes I go back again and again to some of the same like readings and articles because they always speak to me. And one of them is Audre Lord uses of the erotic from, I think it's from sister outsider, but anyway, talks about eroticism and kind of differentiates that between what happens when you try to take control of somebody's eroticism or when you, the way that it's like represented in society is that it becomes pornographic. So right. that's that's kind of like the shame of it is when you're having like, for example, a sexual encounter with another person, you can either be showing up like fully present and living like with that kind of just raw life force energy exchange, or you can be showing up and expecting this person in front of you to play a role for you and you are using the person's eroticism. And then that's when it becomes like perverse in a way, because it, then it becomes about power, but true, truly like that energy of eroticism is extremely empowering uh, or you can re-empower yourself with, like, with it, I think, because it is a kind of that it's that kind of liberation and, and life force, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. unbounded life force. Yeah, it is. And it, when, and when you're like tuned into that and like tapped into it, you feel yourself showing up and feeling comfortable. Like, yeah. Like with that other person, like 
when you're showing up as you, your true, like authentic self and like, it's definitely a different experience, you know, to say, and it's, to me, it's just, it's more fun, you know, like when you, when you dress yourself, like I call it, like when I'm teaching the classes, I call it dressing yourself, like dressing, you know, how you feel and who you are and un- lifting that veil. And when you get to that point, it's just, it's beautiful. And then, and then having that connection with someone else is even more heightening and exhilarating than just, you know, yeah, putting on a front. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we could all kind of unmask that way. I think it would be I don't know, much, much easier to connect. Yeah. And I, I feel it's all in due time for everyone. Yeah. Do you think we're shifting and getting better at that as a culture? I think so. I do feel it. Cause I feel, I feel it for myself. I feel more, you know, openness to others, maybe because I just don't surround myself, you know, like in spaces where I don't, don't feel that, you know, like going to like bars or nightclubs, you know, even though there's nothing wrong with that. I love, I love a good, you know, nightlife, you know, I grew up in nightlife and entertainment. Um, I do miss it, but I just feel like, yeah, my energy shifting to more of being moving somewhere else now, just mm-hmm. you just show up elsewhere in the world and having that space. But I do love tapping back into that. well I think uh we've gone for a while and I don't want to keep you into the night but I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing your story and just being open to it because I know like it's a little bit vulnerable to just like jump into the experience of recording a conversation together but I really appreciate it um and I hope we'll stay in touch yes you're you're the white white witch on Instagram is that right with like three underscores yep the white witch with three underscores All right. Are you doing any kind of like anything you want to promote, like any workshops or anything coming up? Um, I'm, I'm actually starting to plan like my first workshop. Um, it's like, it's not announced yet or anything, but I do host guided meditations. Um, once a week I shoot for Sundays and Wednesdays. So I didn't do one. What's today's Wednesday, right? Yeah. I didn't do one today. I don't know what day of the week it is just because of the new year, but I plan on starting that up again this coming week. So Sunday will be another live meditation. I like to do Sunday evening at like nine, nine o'clock Eastern time. And then Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Cool. Well, thank you. Awesome. I'll see if I can tune in. That sounds really great. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, awesome. I hope you have a great night, Ryan. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you. You too, Emily. Take care. Bye.